0: This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello friends and welcome back. Today I'll finish up a series that I've called Foundations. This is the fourth episode in this series. I'll be talking about things that the Lord has taught me that have been foundational to my walk with Him. And I hope by sharing them with you, there'll be an encouragement to you and also an encouragement for you to find out, discover what are the foundations that God has for you. Perhaps some of the things I'm sharing will be foundational to you after I share them. Most of what I'm sharing with you, I received from other people. Or perhaps God has got something for you that's very different from what I'm going to share, but I encourage you look and see how is the Lord laying foundations in your life. Before I share a couple more of these foundations, I want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments, you can send me an email at mike at ancientpaths.faith, and I also have a YouTube channel One of the benefits of the YouTube channel is that you can access all of the episodes in playlists. So you can go to the YouTube channel, Ask for the Ancient Paths, and look through the playlists. And Actually, I've been teaching recently at our church here in Russia about the covenants, and that's a good series to listen to. It's been very, very helpful to me over the past probably 10 years now as I have studied the covenants and then applied That understanding to my life. It's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge, too. These foundational understandings that I'm going to share are things that the Lord has put in my life, and they're solid, like a foundation is, and I build on top of them, just as one can build on a physical foundation. And many of these things have helped to keep me steady when I've been in a very difficult situation. Many of these foundations are promises that God makes and we'll talk a little bit later about one of the benefits of the promises of God, why he gives us these promises. As I do a little introduction here, I know that I'm repeating myself. I just want to go through quickly, scripturally, how the Bible talks about foundations. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's a couple of things here. The Lord is called a cornerstone, And the cornerstone, as I've shared before, is the very first stone that's laid down in a foundation. And the placement of the cornerstone determines the orientation and the actual location of the entire building. It's the very first part of a building. It's the beginning of the foundation. And the Lord is called a capstone. In verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, Now to you who believe this stone is precious... But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. This is very true of the life of Jesus in a metaphorical sense. He was rejected by men, and yet he is the capstone. And the capstone is the final stone. It's the completing of the building, holding it all together, locking the structure in place, completing the building and the capstone is the highest point. It's the crowning achievement. The other thing that we get from Peter is that we are the church. We don't go to church, we are the church, and God is building us into a spiritual household. Under the new covenant, God's temple is located wherever his people are. In the old covenant, his temple was in Jerusalem, but now his people are the temple, the living stones that make up his holy household. Jesus is both the cornerstone and the capstone, holding it all together. And anyone who trusts in the Lord will not be put to shame, will never be dismayed. So with the understanding that Christ himself is the cornerstone of the foundation of the church, now I want to share a couple of things that have been very meaningful to me. The first thing is something that came to me a few years, perhaps two or three years after I became a Christian. And I began to understand it seriously and intimately as God's purpose for his people, and in particular for me as one of his followers. God does not call us to know about him, to know him from a distance. He does not only call us to know him in a close relationship, he actually Calls us to share in his nature. Those of you who have heard my teaching about the new covenant, this will be familiar to you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we see a statement about this coming new covenant. I want to read an extended section here and make a few points, but we'll really focus in on sharing in God's nature. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 21, God is speaking, I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. And therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. The nations will know then that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all of your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees of the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel." Oh, wow. What a section that is. And the first thing I want to point up here is how the Lord makes it very clear that this beautiful work he's going to do in the hearts of his people is not for their sake. It's for the sake of his name. And I've thought about that. Why would God be so clearly stating this? Because obviously he's acting in love and he's saving people, And you would think that his motivation is for the sake of the people that he's saving. But his motivation is for the sake of his name. Because salvation is not found in the people of Israel. Salvation is found in the living God. And he is going to do that work in his people so that more people will be drawn to him and be saved. We need to be humble. God isn't doing this wonderful work for our sake, but for the sake of his holy name. I don't know a really nice way to say it, but we're not, quote, lovable, unquote, like cuddly and warm and sweet. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We do not deserve his kindness, and yet he gives it. We need to be humble, and he gives grace to the humble. Amen. That is a really loving God. And now on the theme of this foundation of sharing in his nature, I'll read again verse 26 and following. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. That is the new covenant. Not just knowing about God from a distance, not just walking with him physically along a path as the disciples did, but actually having his spirit in his people. In John chapter 14, we see this again. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you love me, and here's one of those ifs of Jesus, if you love me, you will obey what I command Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Here, Jesus is very clearly saying that he is going to send this counselor. The Father will send the Spirit of Truth, which the world can't accept. But the disciples who were with Jesus at that time, already knew him because they had been living with Jesus, with that spirit of truth. And Jesus says, that spirit of truth will be in you. And then Jesus says, I will be in you. We don't know him just from a distance. We don't study his life and live by the philosophies of Jesus. We are to share in his divine nature. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost... We see this happen. The disciples who were joined together, they were all together in this upper room. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them then were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Spirit rests on them and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit this indwelling spirit, which is exactly what the new covenant is, that God is going to send his spirit on his people. Well, now let's look at Second Peter chapter 1, and this is where we come to these promises that I mentioned earlier. Peter writes, Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So here's Peter's line of thinking. God has given us by his power everything that we need to live the life that he has for us. And that is through our knowledge of him, knowing him, knowing the one who has called us. And he's called us by his glory, by his goodness. And through his goodness and through his glory, he has given us very wonderful, amazing, precious, valuable promises. And through those promises we may participate in the divine nature through the promises of God. God's will is so clear that he wants us, he intends for us to participate in his nature. Not just know about it, but actually participate in that divine life. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says very much the same thing in the context of suffering. I'll just read this entire section from verse 7 on down to verse uh, 12, I guess, or 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And I'll stop right now and just say that's a wonderful word. Well, we all go through hardships. We all face troubles of all different kinds. And the word here is when we face a hardship, we should consider it as discipline from a loving father who treats us as his children. Continuing on. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers, human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God allows hardships in our life so that we can be disciplined, shaped, made more mature, and these hardships, this discipline, it's not punishment. He's not angry. He's training us through these hardships for our good so that we can share in His holiness, so that we can be more like Jesus. Recently, a friend wrote to me, she's a young mother going through a hard time and just a bit stressed. That life is hard. She's got three young kids and she's really having a difficult time emotionally, physically. Spiritually, everything is hard. And I encouraged her when you're going through the hard times, as you're calling out to God, add prayers of gratitude. Lord, thank you for disciplining me. Lord, thank you for humbling me. The reason I shared that with her is because of what we read here in Hebrews that God disciplines us for our good. And He does that so that we can share in His holiness. It's hard. But if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be discipline. No discipline is pleasant when you're going through it. It's painful. But the promise is later on, there is a harvest, a reaping of good fruit. And that good fruit is a peaceful righteousness. Righteousness and peace. For those people who have allowed these hardships, this discipline, to train them. That's how these hardships work in our lives, if we're willing to accept the discipline of our loving Father. So you can see how that's a foundation for me. As I've walked with God, he's allowed me to get into more and more difficult situations. And through it all, he's given me the grace to submit and say, okay, Lord, do what you're going to do. Work out your will in me so that I can share in your holiness. And I stand on the promise through which I can share in his divine nature, I stand on the promise that there is a harvest of righteousness and peace, a harvest of peaceful righteousness, if I will allow myself to be trained by that. Amen. Uh, The next thing I want to share is something that I mentioned, I can't remember, a few episodes ago. It's come up a few times, but I want to spend more time on it now. And this is John Wesley's covenant prayer. For those of you who don't know John Wesley was an Englishman. He came out of the Church of England and was the founder of what we know as Methodism now back in the 1700s. And he wrote a service called the Covenant Service and the Covenant Prayer at the end of that service has been very very meaningful to me. The first time that I heard this service I had just become a Christian again in my late 20s and it was on New Year's Eve and I heard about a New Year's Eve service In a small country church in North Georgia, in the United States. I went to this service, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And the pastor there led us through John Wesley's covenant service. Uh, You can find this on the internet, just do a search for it. There are several different versions. Uh, People have updated it or modernized it or whatever. So I'll try to include a link in the show notes of a place where you can get the original. And as an aside, For those of you who are soon to be married, one of the first things my wife and I did after we got married was together we went through the covenant service as man and wife. And the service is an opportunity to renew our covenant with God. As we work towards the prayer, I want to read some of the text from earlier in that service. I certainly won't read the entire service because it's full of prayers and singing and opportunities for confession of sin. And another thing that's pretty good is if you get a hold of a copy of this, it's all scripture. There's so much of it that is scripture and use it as a Bible study, as a, a way to go through and study the scriptures. So here's something that John Wesley wrote early on. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is redeemed from sin and consecrated to God. Through baptism, we have entered this life and have been admitted into the new covenant of which Jesus Christ is the mediator. He sealed it with his own blood that it might last forever. On one side, God promises to give us new life in Christ, the source and the perfecter of our faith. On the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves, but only for Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. From time to time, we renew our covenant with God, especially when we reaffirm our baptismal covenant and especially when we gather at the Lord's table. I'll point out a couple of things there. I really appreciate the way Wesley says there are two sides to this covenant with God. Many people will tend to accept Christ as Savior but they don't really accept him as Lord, and it has to be both. On one side, God promises to give us new life in Christ. So he is the Savior, and on the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves, but only for Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And there are the two sides. He is both our Savior, he gives us life, brings us from death, and he is our Lord, and we are pledged to live for him. A little bit later in the service, Wesley writes, commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we may please Christ and please ourselves. But then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It's necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. And let us, therefore, go to Christ and pray, Let me be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own, I will give up myself to your will in all things. That is a good prayer. And again, I really appreciate what Wesley says here. The Lord has many different things that we can do. Lots of services, ways that we can be involved in ministry, involved in kingdom work. Some of them are easy and bring honor, and some of them are difficult and they bring disgrace. And some of these services may fit right in with our inclinations, our natural inclinations, and our interests, and some of them may be completely contrary to both our inclinations and our interests. Amen? He's the Lord. He can give us whatever he wants to give us. In some of these services to God, we may please Christ and also please ourselves. It may be pleasing to us, but there are times when God calls us into situations where there's no way to please Christ except by purposeful self-denial. We need to be willing to receive whatever he gives. We surrender everything. And now we come to the prayer. I'll read it through, talk about it a little bit, and then I'll read it through one more time. And this prayer has been so very meaningful to me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you. Exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal that is Wesley's covenant prayer. It set me free in many ways. When I went through that first service on New Year's Eve, and as I returned to the service over the years, especially this prayer, I am no longer my own, and God can do with me whatever he wants. And I I love the way Wesley says, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, that has been so helpful to me over the years. There have been times when I feel like, oh, I, I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels. I'm not accomplishing anything. Well, if he wants to use me, he's welcome to. But if he wants to lay me aside, he's welcome to do that too. And one of the images that's been very helpful to me is the idea of a sculptor who is forming a piece of marble. And the sculptor is using a hammer and he has a series of chisels tools on his workbench. And different tools are useful for different parts of the work. And he'll pick up one chisel and do some work, and he'll put that chisel down and pick up another tool and do that work. Well, if the chisel were selfish, it could say, hey, why aren't you using me? Hey, I'm just laying here. I'm not doing anything. But the master knows the right time. He knows the time to pick you up and put you to use. He knows the time to set you down and do something else it's up to him. I just need to be ready. I need to be ready. And that's an important part of this prayer, is the willingness to be used at any time. Wesley says, rank me with who you will. Put me in any place in society, with the wealthy, with the poor, with people from all different cultures. Put me to what you will and rank me with who you will. Amen. To doing things or to suffering exalted, lifted up, or low and humble. Amen. It's just everything to allow him to do what he's going to do. As I was thinking about preparing my remarks, I remembered when I first moved over to Russia, I was a single man and I assumed that I would live in perhaps a one-room apartment and perhaps at some point in the future I would buy some old Russian car There's a car model here called the Zhiguli, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'll get one of those sometime. And within a few months of me landing in Russia, I had a minivan, and I was living in a five-room apartment, and I didn't want it. I didn't want a minivan. I didn't want a big apartment. But that's what God gave me, because very soon after that, I found that minivan was full of food for orphans and widows, We were hauling kids all over the place. That minivan was a really good tool for the ministry that God had for me. And that big apartment was full of meetings. We had dinners for people, and we had an office in one of the rooms for a while. And we had people that were coming and visiting from America. They would stay there. It was a tool for the life that God had for me. And it was a little hard for me early on to really accept the value, the wealth that God had poured out on me. A nice minivan and a big house. But the Lord knew he could trust those things to me, and he knew that those things were necessary for the work that he had prepared for me. I didn't know it, but he knew it. And this is where this prayer has been so helpful to me, because the prayer says, let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing, whatever the Lord wants to do. Right now, I have a lot but there may come a time when I have nothing that's okay that'll be true of all of us at some point when our spirits leave our bodies we'll have nothing on this earth well let me just finish up by reading this prayer one more time and again the whole purpose of the series of foundations is to encourage you to encourage you to find those solid promises of God, the things that he has set deeply in your spirit, and then stand on them, push off of them, build on them as you move ahead and grow into new things. And a wonderful foundation stone for any believer is this prayer of John Wesley, the covenant prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with who you will, Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now... O glorious and blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.